Divorce and Immorality from the sermon series, Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Pastor Michael Carrion. Well, Metro, so good to be with you uh, again on this Palm Sunday. And uh, we are remembering that we are in a global pandemic. This Sunday with no palms and the foci being more on the series for some might be a little disoriented because you have been trained in your journey walk to focus on Holy Week differently. Well, the deconstruction of habits is always a good thing because God would do a new thing in this season uh, to speak to us differently, to meet us differently. While we all cannot gather because of social edict, the Holy Spirit can be wherever we are right now. And so those of you that are at home, those of you that are in your living room, in your kitchen, wherever you are watching this, know that your home now becomes an altar and a a sanctuary. And as you lift up the name of Jesus in your social context and in that space, uh, it becomes filled, it becomes usable for God to release grace, power, and transformation, which is the ultimate purpose of Metro. I'm so moved this morning to see the pen pal system and how effective it's working uh, with those who are incarcerated, uh, as mentioned by Pastor Sanita. I'm so moved to hear Elder Tasia talk about her mother, her grandmother, her history, and the reality that, uh, you know, the role of the woman, sometimes this classification in a Western context, impedes us for seeing people outside a role. Uh, We are all the Imago Dei, made in the image of God, and all deserve the dignity of that truth and that reality within the text. My assignment today, and I'm I'm, I'm feeling a little, you know what I'm saying, not insecure, but I heard Pastor Sanita preach this thing last week. And I'm like saying, I got to follow that. Hold up, Peter. You didn't tell me I had to follow something like that. So Pastor Sanita, wherever you are right now, I want you to know, girl, you smoked the mic. You were preaching, you were teaching, you were prophesying, you were deconstructing, reconstructing, and you were right on point. I love, you know, I'm a hood nerd, I'm a hood nerd. You go to seminary, you do any sort of MDiv program, any sort of um, theological frame in any seminary, you know when somebody has cross-analyzed the text and gone to the scholars to get the proper information to unpack Thus saith the Lord for the people of God. I want to say this house is filled uh, with tremendous preachers, leaders, and teachers. But Pastor Sunita, I give you honor as a hero, as a woman, as an, of African-American descent. Thank you for leading us, leading me, and then leading our church in your role. Uh, my assignment is to dive into where uh, Pastor Sunita left off. And I'm picking up at Matthew chapter 5. Now, I've been a pastor for 30 years. I've got over three decades of pastoral ministry. I don't know how many marriages I've done within the last 30 years. It's that many. But what I do know that the, 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 every time I've done a marriage, every time I've engaged in premarital counseling, every time I've engaged with anyone that was trying to, to, to get their lives together and, 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 and from a sense of call first to Jesus, receive somebody else as their life partner to do life with them. I want to say this. Nobody ever gets married with the intent to get divorced. Nobody ever gets married with the intent to destroy and permanently, psychologically and emotionally scar their children by divorce. And in our context, we're in the 21st century looking backwards, right, at a text that is what? 
taught and lectured by the master himself in the first century. We are literally doing ministry in a post-Christian context. So today's reflection is divorce in a post-Christian society because that's how we have to put this, in our frame and in our context while understanding the context and the proper exegetical frame of what Jesus was saying and what he was doing. Now, at face value, you look at Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 31. I'm reading from the ESV. The Bible says this. It was also said, when whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, let's stop right there. I want you to say that with me. Say, but I say to you, I know that's a little uncomfortable. You're in your house and you're saying, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, from our perspective in the 21st century, looking backwards at what Jesus is saying on the issue of adultery and divorce, what he's doing really is calling, it's really a radical proclamation. We've got to remember that the Sermon on the Mount is uh, a, a new ethic, a new, a new characteristic. Uh, uh, it is an upside-down presentation that, that separates us from the world, separates us from the systems, separates us from how we live without God. When Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he's telling us the characteristics of believers and how they conduct themselves in the light of their belief. Whatever their orthodoxy is, right teaching, has to be reflected in orthopraxy, right living. And it's kingdom living for kingdom folk. He's speaking to those within the kingdom that have had this experience. And those who haven't, um, are not in the kingdom, but are hearers, right, or witnesses, they are now being challenged by what Jesus is saying. He's making one statement, but his statement is, is speaking to several populations, and you know this when you cross-analyze because what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 5, 31 really is a radical proclamation and a challenge. It is a challenge to the social, cultural reality of his day. Why, 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 why do you say that? Well, in the 21st century, women have a status quo. Women have more of a position, even though there's still many places in the globe and even in the United States where women are, are mistreated and abused. There's glass ceilings sometimes for their situ in, their, in their corporate experiences. Uh, they don't get the same pay sometimes, but they've got more skills. They don't get the same acknowledgement sometimes, but they got the more credentials and better credentials than many times than a man. Uh, uh, but, but there's still a status quo, a social space. Uh, we still have more women CEOs today in our world than we've ever had in the history of the West. Praise God for that. That there's a movement, right? There's a movement that is lifting up women. There's a movement that's calling for righteousness, for justice, for liberation for women. Praise be to God for that. But what Jesus is speaking into is a context where women do not have a status quo do not have the opportunity, do not have access. And to be honest, when you study history, Roman Greco history, in the first century, women were treated like objects. Uh, they could be bought from their father and they, by a goat uh, or by money. Uh, they, could be, they could be transferred and taken away from their families. Uh, and, and that was just it. The law justified it. When Jesus starts to speak in 5, 31 and 32, he says, but I say to you, 
But I say to you, what he's calling for is a reconstruction of Deuteronomy 24. You have to know the citation to understand the depth of the implication that Jesus is making. Deuteronomy 24, surmised, says that if anyone who is married, and I'm paraphrasing, please research it for yourself, if anyone that is married to a woman has any issue with her, any issue with her, he could write a letter of divorce, send her on away, and that's it. That's it. Now she's homeless. Now she's hungry. Now she's on the street. Now she has no other way to live but by her own means, having been what? Dispatched from the covering of her husband. Well, this doesn't set well. Well, we gotta, we gotta, we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to reconcile this because we're talking, Jesus is citing the word. He's citing Torah. But he's asking and calling us to a reconstruction of interpretation in Torah. The legalistic justification, and Sunita hit this, the legalistic justification, right, of divorce in Deuteronomy 24 leaves no room for restoration of relationship, no room for the chance of new relationship post-divorce. And the issue of adultery, which is a serious issue, and if you, if you I would challenge you to look at, look at part one of this through uh, Sunita's sermon uh, on, on lust and its affect and its depth and its corruption in man and woman. But ultimately, when you look at this, you understand that Jesus is saying, we need a new interpretation of the law. He's not correcting the text, he's correcting the interpretation. And correcting the interpretation, he's challenging for us, right, the believer, for a new application. He defines the reason why there can be a divorce. And it's not a legalistic, just because somebody felt, this is the category, drifting from the institution of marriage. Now listen to me. Uh, we live in a post-Christian society. Uh, we have cancel culture. And we have this terminology that we used in our post-modernity situation. Cancel culture. Let me help you with this. Cancel culture is not a new thing. Cancel culture is a revisiting paradigm, especially within the West. Especially within the Western church. We've been canceling things. Matter of fact, Whenever the Holy Spirit has done something new, fresh, and anointed, the church, the, the institutional church, the evangelical church has a, has a tendency to cancel what God is doing. Let revival break out. Let, let people of Korean, Hispanic, Latino, Afro-Korean, African-American uh, communities start to gather together, put away biases, put away theolog secondary theological tensions, but let's really become one holy Catholic community under God, looking for the resolve and the peace of the world, looking for the shalom of the city. Well, we can't do that as a group until we reconcile what we do, how we do, and what we live when it comes to the context of marriage. Divorce is a major issue for Christianity. Divorce is a major issue, and it was never God's intent Divorce is treacherous. Now, let me give this caveat. You might be listening to this message and you're divorced. This message is not about hurting you. I'm not trying to say divorce people that you don't, you're not going to heaven and divorce people, uh, you messed up and you, you disobeyed God. I'm not saying that. None of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You can say amen to that. All of us have sinned. None of us got it all together. There was only one perfect one. That was Jesus. People who come from divorce are broken and walking around with scars from that divorce. 
And if they haven't pursued therapy and intervention and process and spiritual formation to address the death of that marriage, the death of that relationship, they're walking around bleeding on people. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody right now. But divorce is a cataclysmic, treacherous, treacherous thing, contrary to God's design. I would even argue, and this is me, and if Pastor Peter has a different theological frame, he's right, I'm wrong. I would even say divorce is an issue and an attack on the church. Because the first church is one man and one woman coming together under the what? Covering of God. And to break that, to break what God has sended, to break what God has intended to be good, to multiply. That's not, that's not the God, that's not the God, that's not what's in the text. That's not the God that we serve. This may be radical for some, but if you do the study, you understand that God himself, God, a God of life, a God of redemption, a God of resurrection, a God of a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance, a God that's married to the backslider, a God that, 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 that will leave the 99 and go after the one, a God that, that says that though you fall seven times, you're not utterly cast down. God loves people that are broken and are divorced and are scarred. He loves children that were prisoners of war, of, of, of divorce, that are scarred. He loves, he's a God of comfort. And, and the bottom line is that the church itself. We as a people need to understand what is this influence that has come against us, that has increased this cancel culture of marriage, right? Millennials today would rather live together outside of, of marriage, biblical marriage, right? They'd rather do it their way. And we know that their way, and I love the way Sunita, it was just so much, I mean, I'm just going to rock the rest of her stuff, you know? It was, I just love the way she unpacked that. We've tried it our way. We do it our way. It's not the same thing. You don't want to live outside the blessing, the covering, and the anointing, and the consecration of the Holy Spirit. But the reality is divorce is real. And everything in our sensuous, sexual culture contributes to the deconstruction of the biblical family unit. Watch a commercial, it's sexual orientation. Watch a football game, it's sexual orientation. Watch a fight, it's a sexual orientation. Watch a NASCAR, it's a sexual orientation. Watch a movie, there's sexual orientation. Anime, sexual orientation. Sex is saturated within everything. Come on, think about it. Think about it, you know, back in my day, in my day, you had to go down the block, around the corner, have the money to go buy the magazine when nobody was looking from the guy that was in the paper, it ain't like that no more. Now that spirit is coming in through what? The internet into your kid's, own, your kid's room. Now that thing is coming into the living room while you're sitting next to your spouse and you're exposed to it. She's exposed to it or he's exposed to it. And you've got to wrestle with it. You know, pornography is such a lie and it leads to drifting, right? Lusting. Uh, coveting after someone else's uh, spouse, male or female, causes us to drift, causes us to fascinate, uh, causes us to daydream, brings us into a place where we're in control and God is not. And we've got to be sensitive to that. All of that are the deeper theological implications of Matthew 5. It's not just adultery that's being spoken about. It's the heart condition. Adultery is the byproduct of the heart condition. And the heart condition of the church in the West is sick. 
The Sermon on the Mount addresses this even in our day. Our traditions and our sin have corrupted our, our hermeneutic of what biblical marriage is. Putting marriage in its proper place that is going to be able to withstand the temptation to drift is making sure that there is a Christocentric, meaning Christ-centered context that is your home, that is in your marriage. I want you to remember that you are not your own. You've been bought by the price, the blood of the lamb. And Jesus knew every nasty, vile thing you were going to do before you did it. Now, you may sit next to your spouse and you may be uh, fantasizing and she doesn't know, but God knows. God knows every thought, every idea. I've been privileged to be married uh, 32 years now. 32 years of marriage, same woman. Elizabeth, she's a gangster. She's the original road warrior. She's tough. She's rugged. She's faithful. She's brilliant. She'll fight for me and she'll fight with me. And sometimes she does it at the same time. <laughs> Married folk know what I'm talking about. Catch you in the bedroom. What you did? I know you did that. I know you did that. Outside. Hey, babe. How's everything? We're coming out. We're doing this. Ultimately, what's kept us together for over three decades has not been the, our intentionality of going to school and pursue degrees. It's not been that we have been lucky or that we're cute or that we're special. It's been that Jesus has been the center of our marriage for 32 years. And we love Jesus more than we love each other. That's why I'm still married. Other than that, I would not be there. She was either broke camp a long time ago because I'm a hot mess. And I'll say that before you, I'm a hot mess. God doesn't choose the proud, I mean the, the noble, he chooses the broken. I, I'm broken. I, I'm so broken that I will tell you about my brokenness. He continues to use me because of my brokenness. And ultimately I'll say this to you, that no matter how broken you are from divorce, God can heal you and God can restore you. You don't have to drift into another space. And those children who are stuck in this, not knowing who to, who to love, the children are the prisoners of war for every family that breaks up. Divorce is toxic for the family. Divorce is toxic for the church. Statistics say this, look at how toxic it is. Statistics, statistics tell us that 41 to 50% of every first time marriage ends in divorce. 50% of first-time marriages end in divorce. 41 to 50% of first-time marriages will end in divorce. In the church. I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about outside. In the, who know Jesus, who are in service, may even work in ministry, may be elders or pastors or bishops or superintendents. Right? If you go to second marriages, it jumps to 67%. 67% of second marriages, according to the dynamic marriage ratio index, 67% of marriages are going to get wind up in divorce. Third marriages, it goes almost up to 75% that end in divorce. That is not just commonality. That is not just coincidence. That is an intentionality. That is a paradigm and a sickness and a corruption that many times in the church we don't even discuss. Matter of fact, many times we try to justify it. And ultimately, Jesus 
was not okay with the justification and the abuse of women, that, 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 that huge window that's left open in De Deuteronomy 24, the text is the text, and it's infallible. It's without error. He's not correcting the text. He's correcting the interpretation. He's further defining Deuteronomy 24. And then he's putting it this. Matter of fact, the Bible even tells us it was not God's will to give a certificate of divorce, but that because they wanted it, it was then issued. A context of cancellation was created by, by what? By request. That, that contradictory, how can we preach a God of resurrection, a God of redemption, a God of transformation? And yet, in our own lives, in our own marriages, things are broken. In 1960, America did this. It embraced the idea of what's called a no-fault divorce, which means you can get divorced for almost any reason. You're going to find out every popular ethnic leader will, will, will look at this at some point. And it hasn't gone well for us since we've embraced that in the 60s. It's just different words. But in 1960, we embraced an ideology and put into practice a cancer culture for marriage. It's not just canceling our socio-political socio ideology, but canceling out what God has intended to be the institution of the first church. The first church is Adam and Eve, man and woman, and then them under God. And we know that didn't work out well. But even post that, we understand that God continues to thrive and look for Adam and Eve, looking for the husband and the wife. I can tell you it's not been easy to be married for 32 years because we've had ups and downs. In the first 10 years of my marriage, if I can be transparent, what hell on earth for my wife Elizabeth? Because while I did not cheat on her with women, I did cheat on her with drugs. That substance became my idol and I chased it for years, in and out of jail, in and out of programs, and she stood there faithful looking at me. She stood there faithful, praying, believing God. I'm lost, she's, she's the believer in the relationship. I'm lost in my own sin, in my own compulsive behavior, in my own brokenness, trying to fill the hole in my soul with something that only God could fill. And in the process, I damaged her and I damaged my very young children. Until one day, by God's grace, I woke up because somebody, you know, somebody came to me with a word. I said, choose you this day whom you will serve. You can die on the corner, or you can enter into the kingdom. That was 27 years ago. And even after I went into a drug program and got clean by God's grace, and then fell in love with Jesus by God's grace, when I came home to Elizabeth after three years, because it was a year program, but I got left back because I had problems. I came back home. She wasn't ready to deal with the new and improved Michael Carrion. She didn't know who I was, who she knew was the conniving, lying criminal. And this new person, she, 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 she was like, I don't know. You sound fanatical. What's all this Jesus stuff? What's all this church stuff? And then on the flip side, I'm saying, well, let's go to marriage counseling so we can learn how to do this. We have small children. Let's work this out. Let's, you know, she's like, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, some people would say, well, that's my license to break out. That's my license. I want to go to counseling and my wife doesn't want to go to counseling. So since she doesn't want to go, she's saying that the relationship is over. So it's just going to be over. But that wasn't what God put in my heart because I was chasing after Jesus. 
And God put them on, well, then you fix you and you pray and you let me deal with her over time. And I want to say this to the married folk that are listening to me right now. Stop trying to change your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Plead the blood of Jesus over their mind. Pray for them when they're sleeping. Go old school. Get that Goya oil. Start consecrating things in the house. I'm going to tell you, go old school. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit, a symbol of consecration. I have anointed that bedpost. I have anointed her heels. I have anointed stuff that she's done. I have anointed it. Because there was a time when, when she was ready, willing, and able. And now I come back and now she's drifted. And now she's on a journey. And she doesn't know she wants to do this thing anymore after all the damage I created. So now I'm on my knees fighting for this thing with a very young, two young sons at the time. By God's grace, we got through it. By God's grace, he kept us together. And we didn't turn into another statistic. And I want to say this, you know God, he's even the God over statistics. He can revert the numbers. He can lower the percentiles. He can transform a broken home. Even in the context of adultery. Some people say, that's it, that's my license. He cheated and I'm leaving. Let me say this to you. There's a prophet in the Old Testament where God tells him, you're going to marry a prostitute. You're going to marry a prostitute and she, Hosea, and she's going to bring the men in front of you. And you're going to see this. And then she's going to be pregnant from these men. And you're going to raise those children. Can you imagine God telling you to do that? Can you imagine God telling you to do that? That's what he tells the prophet in the Old Testament. And he names the children. Do the study and the research for yourself. It's an Old Testament window where God is saying, I'm even above divorce. Because he's there, struggling and straining. And then he's what? He's showing a window of how he suffers with the whoredoms of Israel. I want to say this to you. Adultery is a sin. It is a depravity of the heart. But our God is even over adultery. He can restore. I have seen couples in the church that have been, I mean, the mess, crazy, insane, outside of this consequences. But I've seen God put things back together. Somebody say amen. amen. There's hope. There's hope. When we decide to divorce, we say there's no more hope. But we're believers. When we decide to divorce, we're saying this is dead and nothing, nothing between us can live. Yeah, in your power, in your realm, but in the realm of God and his authority and his power. And we would humble ourselves and allow him to transform us. My point to you is that there's a cancel, there's a sensual culture that continues to permeate and is only getting darker and more evil and more sexual. And the church is going to start to stick out more and more in the days to come because it's got to take a stance on either being kingdom folk or being like those outside the kingdom. Marriage itself should be a witness to those that are in the dark that this is what the love of God looks like. This is what the love of God looks like. As a man takes his place, let me park here. And I hope the brothers don't get upset. But I got to talk about this. What happened to the men of our generation? I grew up watching this show called My Three Sons. And in those three, in that movie, in a half hour, they had all this crisis that would always get fixed in that half hour. I don't know how, but that's what they did in the sitcom. And it was three boys and a father. 
And these three boys were getting into mischief and their father was there. I wanted to be like that father. I wanted to dress like that father. I wanted to be a father like that father. I wanted to have sons like that, like, like that family, right? I knew from what I was seeing and watching that I had to grow up one day and be a man. But this generation is different. I'm not trying to bash the men, but you should not be 45 years old, stuck with an Xbox Five while your wife is out there working, paying the rent. You should not be home, lost in space and gaming and gaming culture while your wife is the provider, the protector and the regulator in your home. I see this in my cultural context. It may be different amongst those who are watching tonight, but I see this in my cultural context. I also see the fact that in my cultural context, systemic oppression has, con has contributed to the demise of the family unit because there are many children and there's not many fathers in the Afro-Latino community. Marriage is not thought, sort of. They interchange the word wife with boo thing and wifey but they don't call them husband and wife. You know, God loves adulterers and fornicators, but there's always a price to pay, church. There's always a price to pay. There's a, there's a, a power in love. There's a power in marriage. When men take their place and become the priest or provider, when women take their place as, as equals, as equals and are acknowledged and are given that space, and given that acknowledgement and then given that authority and feel confident they can flow and flourish with their spouses. There's a biblical framework. There's a biblical framework. You think that Jesus is radical with what he said in, in Matthew chapter 5? Paul is even more radical in Ephesians 5, 22 to 28. And a lot of women don't like to hear this first text because of the, the corruption of the church. And within my cultural context, the machismo within the Latin church. Verse 22 of Ephesians 5 says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I remember being a young Christian, reading this text, and telling my wife, you gotta submit to me. And she looking at me like, you crazy. You gonna submit to you? You gotta put this in context. It's not submit to my foolishness. It's not submit to my abuse. It's not submit to my laziness. It's not be my sex doll whenever I want some. I'm talking to married people. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is, is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In proper context, it doesn't mean the wife should submit to any of the foolishness mentioned. What it's saying is, as your, as your husband is what, following Christ? You submit to Christ and your husband. And the truth is, if a woman is with a man that's providing, that's protecting, that's doing his best to honor his wife, honor the children, she has no problem submitting. She has no problem loving and supporting her man if she feels safe. But if we have a generation of 40 and 50 year old boys playing game, like a 50 year old man on a skateboard. I don't wanna grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid. That's why we ain't got no, that's why there's no model of a, of a, of a strong marriage. Not, I'm talking in my cultural context, right? Verse 25, you, you notice the wives are told to submit, but in verse 25, Paul tells, tells the husbands, 
Love your wives. Love your wives. Doesn't tell the wife to love the husband. She's naturally going to love him. Especially when she feels safe and provided for and empowered. Right? Empowered. Not dictated to. Not abused. Not bullied. In my cultural context, I'm always doing a counseling session where I'm telling somebody, she's not your daughter. She got a father in glory. And according to what the word says, she's your blessing. Why do you keep pulverizing your blessing? Husbands, love your wives as Christ of the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Oh, men, if we were to love our spouses the way Christ loved the church and gave him, what did Christ give for the church? He gave everything. And if a man gives everything for his spouse, I'm not talking about idolizing her, making Jesus the center, but gives everything for his spouse. Divorce can come knocking on that door, but that door will never open because of what's happening in that house. What's happening in that house? Husbands, if we can learn to submit to Christ and truly appreciate the gifts of our spouse, if we could learn to be men that are providers, protectors, priests in our home, and then lead lovingly and equally our spouses to the cross, then that would be an example for the world to say, we want marriages like that. I, I remember hearing a pastor's preach, a PK pastor's kid say, I don't want a marriage like my father, the bishop, or his, that, that's a, the, my mother and him have a toxic relationship. We should not hear that in the house of a clergyman, of a believer. But the reality is, the church is fighting so much. Jesus is calling us to honor women. Jesus is calling us to honor our spouses. Jesus is calling us to honor. In Ephesians, it also says in the very next pericope, the next paragraph, what? Uh, lead not your children to wrath. While Ephesians talks about leadership, it also gives you the framework. It talks about the perfection of the saints, but the family makeup. And what does it look like to have a Christ-centered family? A husband that looks like Jesus. A wife that's following Jesus and her husband and children that are following their parents all the way to church. Why? Because they live in the church, because they are the church. Church happens at home first before it happens in the corporate gathering. Jesus was presenting in Matthew 5.32, I would argue, a new hermeneutic. A new hermeneutic. God hates divorce. God hates divorce because it's not God's will that he lose not one of us. And when we divorce, we're losing because of sin. Marriage is to be a permanent marker in the earth so that all can see the power of God, so that the world can see a model of the church. Marriage as an institution is so powerful that even in the Bible, the imagery points to our eschatological outcome because Jesus is the groom. 
coming for his church, a bride, that hopefully that will be without spot or wrinkle. I can tell you that the, 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 the dress of the bride is pretty dirty right now. Thank God that he has not come yet, but he's giving us grace and space. What am I saying to you? Married people stay married. What am I saying to you? God is able to resurrect even a dead marriage. What am I saying to you? Make Jesus the center of your family in all things. And no matter what happens, it'll work out somehow, some way. In 32 years, it's always worked out. There's been disagreements, there's been bumps, there's been... It's always worked out because Jesus was always the center. I give God praise for the partner, for the OG, for the original gangster, for the work in her that has developed the work in me. I am who I am because of who she's been and how she has supported me. But I saw that example, even in my parents who suffered, but they stood together through everything. Where are the marriages that look like that? Where are the models that we can follow? Jesus gives us the model. Make Jesus the center. And as adultery comes, your heart will chase after Jesus and not covered after something else. This is the word of the Lord. And if you can receive it, say amen. amen. Thank you. Thank you for that word. Uh, I'm going to bow our heads for a moment of prayer right now. This is uh, an important time. If you're with your spouse right now and perhaps the quarantine has been really difficult, um, there's been so many reports, statistical uh, research is saying that this has been hard uh, during this quarantine for a lot of marriages. And there's been a lot of fighting, a lot of unfortunate abuse that's been happening. And so this is an opportunity for you to repledge yourselves to Jesus first, uh, but also to each other. A mentor of mine once told me that your marriage, Peter, should be a sign and a wonder. It should literally point to God. People should come to know Jesus through your marriage. And this is an opportunity for you to connect. I want to speak to those who are divorced. This is not to condemn. But I want you to put yourself in a place where you can just ask God to come and heal you. If you have not sought healing yet. And maybe you still live with the residue of the hurt and the betrayal that you've gone through. But I want to give you an opportunity to experience healing. So could we just go to God right now? And if you're with your children, could you have your child pray with you as well? Let this be an opportunity where the family can come together. For those who are single, I want to encourage you to go to God and pray that God would bring you someone, if you still want to get married, that God would bring you someone that would literally love God more than even you. Because as Pastor Mike says, that as long as Jesus is the center in a marriage, it can work. And so let's just go to God right now and then I'll close this in prayer.
Lord, the closest relationship that we can have on earth that resembles what your relationship is with the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Son, the three are one, is really marriage. It says, the man will leave his mother and father, be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. And so God, I pray for every marriage right now. I pray for every couple that's watching. God, I pray that you would heal their marriage if it's broken, if they're struggling. I pray, God, that every spouse would see their spouse through your eyes, not through theirs. And God, would you give them an incredible love and passion for one another. I pray for every marriage I hear at Metro Community Church, God, that you would not only instill commitment, but instill a deep sense of passion for one another, the passion that you have for us. May that be transferred, God, in us so that we can give that to our spouse. So God, bring healing to our marriages. I pray for those in our church who have been divorced and even those who are currently in the process of going through a divorce. I pray for your healing. I pray you would heal their hearts for the things that they've had to encounter, the blows they've had to sustain. I pray for healing upon their hearts, their lives, and God, that you would bring redemption in their life through all of this, God. And I pray for our singles community. I thank you for them, God, for those that want to get married. God, I pray that, Lord, that they would desire to meet somebody that deeply, deeply loves you, God and they would be committed to dating and meeting people where you are the center of their lives. Be with them during this season. I know quarantine has been really hard. Be with them during this season, God. And I pray that they would not drift towards the ways of the world and how the world does dating, but they would continue to honor themselves, honor you, honor their bodies the way you would want them to, God. Would you bless our singles community, God. Bless our church. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how did God speak to you? If you go to your communication card, there's a couple next steps that we'd love for you to take. The first one is this. I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off. We will get back to you and help you in this process of journeying with your new relationship with God. Second, I'm going to reflect and pray and confess to a trusted person. It could be a pastor, anyone else. If I have given everything to my spouse, why don't you reflect upon that? Ask yourself, have I truly given everything to my spouse? And if I haven't, why have I not? Would you share that with somebody for not only uh, just to share, but also maybe to get some input and prayer as well, all right? Third, I will pursue professional counseling as a spiritual discipline. Maybe you do need counseling. Counseling is a wonderful thing. And maybe that's going to help you. Maybe it's couples counseling. Maybe it's personal counseling. But please consider that. You can go to emetro.org slash the resource page. And there's counselors that we recommend that you go see. All right. You can access that on our website, emetro.org. And then you can go to the resource tab and hit counseling. And you can find a list of counselors that we would recommend. All right. The, uh, the next, next step, I will register for Metro's in-person Easter service today. Today's the last day that you can register for our 9 o'clock or 11.30 a.m. service next week. Please join us. It will be safe. Social distancing will happen. It's going to be a safe environment. We hope that you'll join us on Resurrection Sunday. If not, you'll still watch us online at 9 o'clock and 11.30 a.m. as well. All right, so just to let you know. And then also, if you're planning to attend in person or maybe just 
attend virtually, why don't you invite a few people to join us next Sunday? Invite a few people, start praying and thinking about who you might be able to invite to in-person service or to the virtual service and do that. Let God use you because Easter is one of the times where people will actually come and attend church, particularly that as we find ourselves during this quarantine, could be an amazing opportunity where somebody can come to know Jesus Christ for the very first time.